Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, you are the fountain of all joy, the source of life, the foundation of happiness. Lord, from you all these blessings flow, that we can enjoy you and we can celebrate you, Father, even in the hard times even when the world can be overwhelming. Lord, as we come before you this morning for a time of worship through the word, we ask that your presence be with us. Lord, strengthen us and guide us. Lord, change our hearts. Help us to repent and turn back to the source of living water. Father, as we pray these things, we want to lift up the churches in our community in Sierra Vista. Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth boldly it would be proclaimed to everyone in need lord we ask this uh, for here lord we also want to pray for this election season lord what a what a time of chaos and confusion from our end but complete control on your end lord we know that you are in charge and that nothing happens apart from your will so father as we uh, pray we, we pray with those to recognize your sovereignty in this, your control of this. Lord, whatever your will, we ask that it be done. Help us to be faithful and to honor you with what you have given us in this time. Lord, uh, we pray that you would be glorified in this election season, uh, whether it be the way that we respond uh, to our brothers and sisters, to those around us, to our family and our friends and our neighbors. Lord, we know that we are called to pray for the good of our community, and that's what we pray. But most importantly, Lord, we know the good comes from you and you alone. Lord, so we ask these things in your beautiful name through the, through the power of the Spirit and, and in the name of that, that precious Christ that you have sent to us, in whom we rest. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So we are in the book of Acts, but I would like you to turn to Psalm 16, verse 11 first. I woke up this morning with a sort of a burden on my heart, and I'm going to share it with you. I'm kind of going off script, so it's not going to be as sweet and polished as it normally is or normally isn't. So Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Do you guys believe that? Because I'm afraid that we have been selling ourselves a truncated gospel. I'm, I'm a little concerned that we are shortchanging the gospel of Jesus Christ by not fully grasping this. Just look at the last part of it. In your presence is abundant joy or fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. Some of us are living as if there is no joy in the Lord. Some of us are living with anxieties and fears and, and grumpiness that is unbecoming a, a Christian. 
So if we believe this is to be true, how do we get that? I, th I think part of the problem is that we are so focused on a good thing that we miss the best thing. We're, we're focused on the good thing, which is justification, that God has, has made a way to salvation and that you are saved. But we don't realize, saved unto what? For what purpose am I saved? Is it so that I have this fire insurance that one day when I pass away, I, I won't have to go to hell? It's kind of like someone who's been in prison for 40, 50, 60 years. They're released from prison, but the greatest joy is not the being released from prison. It's being able to go into the arms of their spouse, into the arms of their wife. It's like the soldier who returns from a deployment, and it's great that we're free from the burdens of war, but how much more joy is it when you actually get to hug your spouse and your children, and they're all crying, right, like we're familiar with? That's what we're missing when we think about this. Yes, you're saved, but saved unto what? And Peter, in Acts chapter 3, where we are, where we're continuing, says that the reason he wants these Jews to turn from their ways is so that they can know the living God, that they can have his presence. So turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3, and we are in verses um, 19 through the end, uh, through 26. And remember the setting that we're in. Peter has... Um, in the name of Jesus, healed this lame man at Solomon's colonnade. And he is standing there, and he begins to preach a sermon. And he started out his sermon calling their attention to him and then pointing it to the Trinity, the Holy God. And he says, this was from the father of Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. He says, this is the God of our ancestors. And you killed the source of life demanding a murderer. And last week we talked about the two differences, right? The source of life murdered and the choosing of a murderer. The Jewish people chose Barabbas rather than Christ, the promised Messiah. And so in our portion this morning, he starts out with a call to repentance. Peter calls the Jews to repentance. And I think we can also see the benefit for ourselves. So this is my thesis, my, my presupposition, my statement that I'm going to give to you. In order to have the joy of God's presence, you must repent because of the benefit, the basis, and the blessing of repentance. Now, if you are taking notes and you have um, one of our bulletins, you will notice a small typo. The final one is supposed to be the blessing of repentance, not the basis of repentance. So what is the benefit of repentance? Well, let's look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Peter begins this way, or continues this way. He says, therefore, and as you're reading scripture and you see the word therefore, what's the question that you want to ask it? What is it therefore, right? So because of what came before, we must do this. So because of what he said about the Messiah suffering, therefore, repent and turn back 
It's interesting to me that he uses both of these commands. Not only does he say repent, but he says also to turn. Now we know that repent means to change direction. You're going one way and you're doing a U-turn, right? You're turning away. You're turning in your thinking, you're feeling, and you're doing. You go the other direction. The Greek word here carries the meaning of change, right? This is not a change in just thinking. It's a change in everything, a full-bodied turning. You must change. He says, repent, turn away from, change. Change, instead of choosing the champion of death, murder, and lies, sin, Choose the champion of life, like we talked about last week. Turn to Christ. So that's why he says turn back, because we turn back to the Messiah. We follow the source of life. So just from this first line, you get the sense that we must abandon the former way, the former pattern, and turn towards Jesus. Now we could use the terms here, repent and have faith. Right, because we talk about faith and trust being almost synonymous. So if you have been choosing the illusion that sin offers, you must turn away from it. So remember last week I kept emphasizing the fact that sin is an illusion. It offers joy. It offers happiness. It offers uh, even sometimes the presence of the Lord. And instead, we get junk. Right? And so instead of choosing the illusion of happiness that sin offers, you must turn away from it, and you must have faith or you must trust in Christ to provide for your needs. But the command has three benefits to repentance. So Peter doesn't just say repent and turn back. He explains the benefit. Did you you guys notice that in verse 19? So that your sins may be wiped out. That's the first thing. We repent because our sins will be wiped out. Remember David in Psalm 51.1, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. And it's interesting, if you continue reading, he says, restore my joy. By sinning against God, he is losing his joy in the Lord. Do you guys see that this is a battle for joy, for happiness? This is what we are in, and sin is offering all these things. Where Colossians chapter 2.14 talks about the erasing of sin like this. Verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2 says, He erased the certificate of debt. Man, that's, that'd be awesome if all your mortgages were wiped out. With its obligations, that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Erased. As you look at verse 19 in our passage this morning, you see the words, so that your sins may be wiped out. The language here is like that of wiping it clean. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a chalkboard, and if you've ever tried to clean a chalkboard, I know some of you are a little bit older than me, not trying to poke any fun, but you had to clean chalkboards in school. Right now we use these dry erase markers, which are another thing. But whiteboard, cleaning the whiteboard. And to get rid of all that chalk, you'd have to get a rag, wet the rag, and wipe it clean. And that's what the language that we see here in 19 is, a a wiping of the dirt off of us. The chalk is completely gone. So when we truly see our sin as against God, 
right? And really, it's, a, it's an attack on the joy we can have in him. We begin to cry out to him to blot out or to erase, get rid of our sin. The promise then is that if you confess your sins, God will wipe them out through Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that what's happening here? Not only is your sin wiped out, but he is going to continue the process of sanctification, of, of making you more holy, of continuing to wipe out sin. So if that wasn't enough, the next promise is that of seasons of refreshing. Now, I'm not going to get into too much detail here with the reason why some Bibles have verse 19 that include this, and some have verse 20 as starting this. Uh, just know that verses were added way later than the biblical text. So in verse 19 or verse 20, depending on your translation, it says that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The, the language here is that of a, a clay. Now, many of you who have lived in Arizona for any period of time know what it's like to just wait for that cool breeze to come. And that's what we have here is that seasons of refreshing may come. Exodus 8.15 has a similar word here uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It says, but when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. If you remember Pharaoh and all these plagues were hitting them, and every time that the plague was lifted, what would he do? He'd harden his heart. And so he got relief from the pain and immediately hardened his heart. This could also be a reference to the Holy Spirit as Peter used the same or similar language in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We have this similar refreshing that comes from the Lord. Let me read it to you. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The seasons of refreshing is the presence of God in you. Take that for a second. Consider that for a minute. If you were an Israelite, if you were Jewish, you would recognize that the presence of the Lord, where does it reside according to the Jewish time, to the law? In the temple, right? in the Holy of Holies. But now, seasons of refreshing where the presence of the Lord is with you. Everywhere you go, you are now a temple to the Holy God. You have him with you. You don't have to make a long trek and a journey to Jerusalem in order to sacrifice an animal, in order to get your sins forgiven. It is all here in this one place. This refreshment comes from the Holy Spirit as this Jewish audience repents and believes. And finally, the last, two, or the last benefit is Christ's return. Look how Peter says it. He says, after he says, from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah, heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. The final benefit that Peter gives to repentance is that Jesus will return. 
You know, Luke has already introduced the connection between Christ and his ascension to the Father and then his return. The result of Christ going to the Father and sitting at his right hand is that he will return and at some point repentance will be too late. The benefit of repentance is preparation for Christ's return with the hope that the people of Israel will be ready. So because Peter is talking about Jesus returning, we know that he needs to clarify where Jesus is. Right? So in 19 or 20, depending on your translation, he says that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. And then, of course, our inevitable question is, well, where is the Messiah? And he jumps into it in verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things. In Acts chapter 1, 6, he says, So when he, they had all come together, he asked, they asked him, Lord, when are you, or, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So remember what's happening. Jesus has been talking with the disciples. He's been walking with them after his uh, resurrection, and they've been having time with him. And then eventually they come to Jesus and they say, Okay, Jesus, are you restoring the kingdom at this time? And Jesus says, well, it's not up to you to know the seasons or the hours. I'm going and I will return, essentially. And so we have the same word of restoring the kingdom. And Peter briefly says that the time is coming for the restoration of all things, but it is not yet here. He says we are, we are living in the already, Christ has already ascended to his throne, but it has not yet been fully realized. But we want to be ready for when it is. It's kind of like a king who takes over the palace and he is getting the kingdom underneath his authority. So he has already won the battle, but the expansion of his authority hasn't fully been consummated yet. And so the, the heralds are running around to all the villages saying, listen, the king has arrived, the king has arrived, repent now, turn away now, come to him now before it's too late, because when he comes with his army, he is going to crush all rebel sinners. So with all the benefits of repentance, why do we think that people do not turn from sinful desires and rebellions against God and trust him alone? Have you thought about that? What's amazing to me is not the massive amount of response to the preaching of Peter, because thousands come to the Lord, it's how, how few actually come to the Lord. If this is the benefit, presence with the, uh, of the living God with joy and happiness, abundance, why do people not turn to the living God? Perhaps you've experienced it. You, you share the good news and they're like, ah, I don't want that. Why is that? John three nineteen through 21 says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved, listen to that evocative word, effective word, loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. 
The reason people do not turn away from their sin is because they love it. It's not so much of a duty. Right? No one wakes up in the morning and says, it's my duty to commit sin this morning. Right? I am going to tell a lie. It's my duty. No, no. They love it because of what it gives to them. So according to our passage in John, the main reason people don't want the benefits of repentance is because they love their sin more than they love Jesus. Jesus shines light on our sin, and so we must turn from it. So how do we do this? Well, I mean, that sounds true, it sounds reasonable, but how do we make this happen? We must love Jesus more than darkness. We must wholeheartedly pursue Jesus Christ so we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. Now, for me, it means daily putting Christ before my eyes. That means reading his word daily studying it, praying the word, singing the word, saturating myself in God's word, which enables me to quickly turn from that which would steal my joy in Christ. Because our conformity to Christ increases our capacity to enjoy him. Have you thought about that before? The more conformed you are to Jesus Christ, the more you're going to be able to enjoy Him. The more you love Christ, the more joy you're going to have in God. The more you enjoy sin, the less you're going to have of happiness in the Lord. It's, it's just a, a simple thing. But it's so deep to ourselves. So after describing the benefit, Peter goes on and gives us the basis for our repentance. So we have the five. So Peter is, is making an argument, isn't he? He is trying to convince the Jews to turn away from their old ways and to turn to the promised Messiah. He is preaching a persuasive message, which honestly, I'm not going to go there. It makes me concerned about the state of preaching in our world today. The basis of repentance, let's, let's stay on task. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. Verse 23, And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. So what is the foundation of what Peter is saying? Well, it's God's word. It's scripture. It's what God had already promised. He says we must repent because Jesus is the promised prophet. Say that five times fast, the promised prophet. And so we see the promised prophet in verse 22. Peter is quoting from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. This is a, a prophecy about the Messiah from Moses. And Peter makes the case that Jesus is the prophet that has been raised up and must be listened to. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is to be trusted, listened to, and obeyed. Otherwise, we have the warning. In verse 23, the warning is this. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. Think about that for a minute. How do you have the presence of God? In the Old Testament, well, it's by being part of the people of God. 
And if you're cut off from the people, what does that mean? You're cut off from the presence of God. That's a pretty hefty warning. As Moses warned, if you do not listen to the raised up prophet, you will be cut off from the people of God. Those who listen to the prophet will experience restoration. Those who do not listen will be completely cut off from the people of God. The same word is used at least ten times in the book of Leviticus. The same word for being cut off or separated or, 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 or punished for not following the law of Moses. This, If you were a Jew and you heard him say it this way, you would immediately recognize the holiness aspect of this passage. That this is referring to not obeying the law of Moses. If you ignore the prophet, you are cut off. In Leviticus, it's, it's used as punishment. If you do not listen to the promised Messiah, you will be cut off from God's people. You will be treated as a covenant breaker. You have broke the covenant. And what happens when you break the covenant in Jewish law? Either there's death or, uh, or being ostracized or some form of recompense is required. Some type of atonement is necessary. In fact, this exact phrase that Moses, uh, that Peter is using is, is from Leviticus 23-29 when Moses is talking about the Day of Atonement. Think about that for a minute. Peter has masterfully quoted the Old Testament in such a way that it points to the atonement nature of Christ. If you reject the atonement of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that was made for your, your sins, you're cut off. You don't belong to the family. True Israel will be defined by their response to Jesus and his atoning sacrifice. That's a pretty significant argument coming from Peter here. Especially if you were a Jew and you heard this, you would be quite shocked. And so what is this covenantal promise? Well, 24 through 25 continue to describe it. Peter goes on with his argument basing the need to repent on covenantal promises. He mentions Samuel. Let's look at verse 24. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. Well, why did he bring up Samuel? You ever think about that? As you've been reading through in your daily Bible reading plan? I know you guys have been doing daily Bible readings and you've read through Acts, right? And you're like, why does he mention Samuel here? He mentions Samuel because we find in 2 Samuel 7, 12, Nathan relays a vision. So let me read it to you. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. It says, when your days are fulfilled, he's talking to David, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up one of your seed after you who will come forth from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall endure for, before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the, the covenantal promise to David that the Davidic line will have a king on the throne forever. And who fulfills that? Jesus. 
Right? So we have Jesus as a prophet, we have Jesus as the priest, and we have Jesus as king. And he is fulfilling this Davidic promise. Peter brings up the covenant of Abraham in verse 25. Let's look at verse 25. It says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring or your seed. Of all the people of the earth that should heed the call of the gospel, it should be the people of Israel, shouldn't it? They have the prophets as their heritage. They have the Torah. They have the law. They have everything they need to trust in Christ. He says, now is the time to repent because you killed the Messiah on the basis of the covenantal promises. So how is this promised blessing received? How do the people of Israel get the promised blessing? Do they have to fulfill the law? Do they have to sacrifice an animal? No. It's very simple. Through repentance. By turning from their sins, they receive the blessing poured out through Jesus Christ. And we can have that same blessing. That by turning from our sins... We receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit poured out through Jesus Christ. It's on the basis that God promised it. I love how Peter reminds them of the promise. The basis of this joyful relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you be a member of the covenant family? Then repent and trust in Christ alone. That's the offer that's being held out. God ordained a way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. He made atonement. No longer are the sacrifices necessary. It's already been made. So we have the benefits of repentance. We have the basis of repentance. And now we're moving on to the blessing of repentance in verse 26. This this verse 26 is, either the third motivation to repentance, or it could be a summary statement of everything he said before. And I also think it's a plea. I think Peter is about to get arrested in the next chapter, and he is pleading with the people of Israel to have joy in the Lord through this Jesus Christ. He's urging them to repent. The blessing of repentance. Because repentance is a blessing. Verse 26, the first part, it says this, God raised up his servant, and we talked a lot about that last week, and sent, with him, uh, sent him first to you to bless you. So first we hear that God raised and sent his servant. The blessing comes only through Jesus Christ, through the servant promised by God from the beginning. There is no other source of blessing. He is the fountainhead of all that God provides for his people. It's the suffering servant that Isaiah mentions in chapter 53. God sent him to the people of Israel, being from the people of Israel. I like how the passage says that he sent to you first. Right? This, is, this becomes more important as Acts unfolds. Right? That the, the promise, the gospel was to come to the Jews first. 
was presented to the people of Israel first because they have the heritage. And then we have the reason. Why did God send, 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 why did God send his servant to bless you and to turn you? Look at verse, the last part of verse 26. To bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Do you see that in the text? I want to make sure that you're seeing it in your Bibles with your own two eyes. I don't want you to take my word for it. Right? If I'm saying something that the Bible doesn't support, then you don't need to listen to me. All right, so look at this passage. He says, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Do you see the connection here? He's not just saving you to give you fire insurance so you don't have eternal damnation, but to turn you from your evil ways for the purpose of holiness so that you are set apart the coming of Christ is the blessing of grace that he himself bestows and is the fruit of redemption by his blood. The power of Christ preached first to the Jews and later to the Gentiles is the conversion, the repentance of rebels to faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to turn people from their evil ways to turn to him and experience true restoration. Would you have the blessing of repentance? Is that something that you would want? The blessing of repentance is God's presence now and God's presence when Christ returns. You need to repent of worldly loves. What are you holding on to in this world that you are loving more than Christ? Consider that with me for a minute. Check your hearts. Many of you might not be enjoying God's presence. Let's say that you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus. You put your hope in him for salvation. But yet you're not experiencing the joy that comes from it. Maybe you know you are a believer though I would say that often believers that are not finding joy in the Lord will begin to question their salvation. Yet you know something is not quite right. I, could, I think that a lot of us have times of those experiences. So if that is you, I want you to find some time this week. Maybe set apart one hour. Who knew you have some homework? Set apart an hour. And I want you to do this. I want you to begin by praying that the Lord would examine your heart and show you if there is any waywardness in you. Examine your heart before God. Read through Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Pray that. Memorize it. Begin to ask yourself, is there any wayward or hurtful way in me? And begin to look at your habits. Are you spending time daily reading God's word? Are you saturating yourself in, in one Bible verse? Are you memorizing it? Remember this. Happiness is found 
in meditating on God's word. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, How blessed is the man. Blessed is also another term that we can use for happy. How happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. If you think about that psalm, what is the law that he is referring to? The first five books. Leviticus? i got to meditate on Leviticus for happiness and delight? Yes. As you do this, remove what is hindering in your relationship with the living God. If it's sin, you need to kill it. If it's wasting time, redeem the time. Pursue God, who is your greatest joy. If you do this regularly, if you check your heart, if you put to death sin, if you pursue Him with everything that is in you, you will be amazed as what happens to you. As you pursue God, you will find joy that is indescribable. It's a promise. It's, a, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Holy smoke, self-control? Yep, self-control. And so in order to have joy, the joy of God's presence, you must repent. Because of the benefit, the basis, and the blessing of repentance. So as we close today, consider what it would look like for you to have joy in God's presence. Imagine with me how life-changing it would be if you delighted in God more than the things of this world. I'm going to tell you something. Death would not scare you. If you love the Lord with your whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, death would not scare you. You would not be afraid of dying because you're going to your Lord who you love, who is all your joy. You would be ready. You'd be ready to die. You'd be ready to suffer. You'd be ready for the economy to collapse. You would be ready for weird elected officials to come into the place and say weird things. You would not have fear if you had joy in the Lord. Suffering and loss would have little effect because your joy is kept in heaven free from any harm. I want you to consider the witness of the disciples and the apostles as they begin to get persecuted. Peter is just about to get arrested. Being arrested at that time is not fun. It is not like American jail, right? You don't get 10 minutes of TV or whatever they give, right? There is chains, there is lice, there are bugs and snakes and everything else. You're in a pit and you have suffering. And how do they endure suffering? By singing hymns and praises joyfully to the Lord. And we're over here grumbling because we don't like who got elected. Shame on us. So as we approach this election season full of hate and anger, we can be different. We can have joy because our joy does not rest in the temporal. Our joy does not rest in Congress. Our joy does not rest in Senate. Our joy does not rest in the governor. Our hope, our joy rests in the risen Christ. Can we leave this place with that thought, for the love of God, stop being so angry. Let's, let's go ahead and close in prayer before I start preaching. Mm.
Father, give us joy in your name. Lord, as we leave this place, we can be joyful in you. The things of this world are going to grow strangely dim as we delight in your glorious presence. Father, I pray for more of that. Lord, help us to be hungry and thirsty for you. Lord, help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, I pray that for these people, that they would have a taste of you this week as they seek you with their whole hearts. Father, help us to cast away the worries and the fears that so easily entangle us and and keep us from running the race that you have set before us. Father, I pray in your beautiful name, your powerful name, that our Christian walk is more than just fire insurance, but a wholehearted living and panting after you. Lord, help us to become more thirsty for your living word. Help us to trust in the, the fountain of living water. Lord, we ask these things. Lord, give us your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.